Hospital Sketches by Louisa May Alcott Chapter 1 Obtaining Supplies This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or how to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. This recording by Aaron Elliott, St. Louis, Missouri. Hospital Sketches by Louisa May Alcott these sketches are respectfully dedicated to her friend miss hannah stevenson by l m a chapter one obtaining supplies i want something to do this remark being addressed to the world in general no one in particular felt it their duty to reply so i repeated it to the smaller world about me receiving the following suggestions and settled the matter by answering my own inquiry as people are apt to do when very much in earnest write a book quoth the author of my being don't know enough sir first live then write try teaching again suggested my mother no thank you ma'am ten years of that is enough take a husband like my darby and fulfill your mission said sister joan home on a visit can't afford expensive luxuries mrs Coobitty. turn actress and immortalize your name said sister vashti striking an attitude i won't go nurse the soldiers said my young brother tom panting for the tented field i will so far very good here was the will now for the way at first sight not a foot of it appeared but that didn't matter for the periwinkles are a hopeful race their crest is an anchor with three cockadoodles crowing atop they all wear rose-colored spectacles and are lineal descendants of the inventor of aerial architecture an hour's conversation on that subject set the whole family in a blaze of enthusiasm a model hospital was erected and each member had accepted an honorable post therein the paternal p was chaplain the maternal p was matron and all the youthful peas filled the pot of futurity with achievements whose brilliancy eclipsed the glories of the present and the past arriving at the satisfactory conclusion the meeting adjourned and the fact that miss tribulation was available as army nurse went abroad on the wings of the wind in a few days a townswoman heard of my desire approved of it and brought about an interview with one of the sisterhood which i wished to join who is at home on a furlough and able and willing to satisfy all inquiries a morning chat with miss general s we hear no end of mrs generals why not a miss produced three results i felt that i could do the work was offered a place and accepted it promising not to desert but stand ready to march on washington at an hour's notice a few days were necessary for the letter containing my request and recommendation to reach headquarters and another containing my commission to return therefore no time was to be lost and heartily thanking my pair of friends i tore home through the december slush as if the rebels were after me and like many another recruit burst in upon my family with the announcement i've enlisted an impressive silence followed tom the irrepressible broke it with a slap on the shoulder and the grateful compliment old trib you're a trump 
thank you then i'll take something which i did in the shape of dinner reeling off my news at the rate of three dozen words to a mouthful and as every one else talked equally fast and altogether the scene was most inspiring as boys going to sea immediately become nautical in speech walk as if they already had their sea-legs on and shiver their timbers on all possible occasions so i turned military at once called my dinner my rations saluted all newcomers and ordered a dress parade that very afternoon having reviewed every rag i possessed i detailed some for picket duty while airing over the fence some to the sanitary influences of the wash-tub others to mount guard in the trunk while the weak and wounded went to the work-basket hospital to be made ready for active service again to this squad i devoted myself for a week but all was done and i had time to get powerfully impatient before the letter came it did arrive however and brought a disappointment along with its good will and friendliness for it told me that the place in the armory hospital that i supposed i was to take was already filled and a much less desirable one at hurley burley house was offered instead that's just your luck trib i'll tote your trunk up garret for you again for of course you won't go Tom remarked with the disdainful pity which small boys affect when they get into their teens. I was wavering in my secret soul, but that settled the matter, and I crushed him on the spot with martial brevity. It is now one I shall march at six. I have a confused recollection of spending the afternoon in pervading the house like an executive whirlwind with my family swarming after me all working talking prophesying and lamenting while i packed my go abroady possessions tumbled the rest into two big boxes danced on the lids till they shut and gave them in charge with the direction if i never come back make a bonfire of them then i choked down a cup of tea generously salted instead of sugared by some agitated relative shouldered my knapsack it was only a travelling bag but do let me preserve the unities hugged my family three times all around without a vestige of unmanly emotion till a certain dear old lady broke down upon my neck with a despairing sort of wail oh my dear my dear how can i let you go i'll stay if you say so mother but i don't go and the lord will take care of you much of the roman matron's courage had gone into the yankee matron's composition and in spite of her tears she would have sent ten sons to the war had she possessed them as freely as she sent one daughter smiling and flapping on the doorstep till i vanished though the eyes that followed me were very dim and the handkerchief she waved was very wet my transit from the gables to the village depot was a funny mixture of good wishes and good-byes mud puddles and shopping a december twilight is not the most cheering time to enter upon a somewhat perilous enterprise and but for the presence of vashti and neighbor thorn i fear that i might have added a drop of the briny to the native moisture of the town i left behind me though i'd no thought of giving out oh bless you no 
when the engine screeched here we are i clutched my escort in a fervent embrace and skipped into the car with as blithe a farewell as if going on a bridal tour though i believe brides don't usually wear cavernous black bonnets and fuzzy brown coats with a hairbrush a pair of rubbers two books and a bag of gingerbread distorting the pockets of the same if i thought that any one would believe it i'd boldly state that i slept from c to b which would simplify matters immensely but as i know they wouldn't i'll confess that the head under the funeral coal hod fermented with all manner of high thoughts and heroic purposes to do or die perhaps both and the heart under the fuzzy brown coat felt very tender with the memory of the dear old lady probably sobbing over her army socks and the loss of her topsy-turvy trib at this juncture i took the veil and what i did behind it is nobody's business but i maintain that the soldier who cries when his mother says good-bye is the boy to fight best and die bravest when the time comes or go back to her better than he went till nine o'clock i trotted about the city streets doing those last errands which no woman would even go to heaven without attempting if she could then i went to my usual refuge and fully intending to keep awake as a sort of visual appropriate to the occasion fell fast asleep and dreamed propitious dreams till my rosy-faced cousin waked me with a kiss a bright day smiled upon my enterprise and at ten i reported myself to my general received last instructions and no end of the sympathetic encouragement which women give in look touch and tone more effectually than in words the next step was to get a free pass to washington for i'd no desire to waste my substance on railroad companies when the boys needed even a spinster's might a friend of mine had procured such a pass and i was bent on doing likewise though i had to face the president of the railroad to accomplish it i am a bashful individual though i can't get anyone to believe it so it cost me a great effort to poke about the worcester depot till the right door appeared then walk into a room containing several gentlemen and blunder out my request in a high state of stammer and blush nothing could have been more courteous than this dreaded president but it was evident that i had made as absurd a demand as if i had asked for the nose of his respectable face he referred me to the governor at the state house and i backed out leaving him no doubt to regret that such mild maniacs were left at charge here was a sila and charybdis business as if a president wasn't trying enough without the governor of massachusetts and the hub of the hub piled on top of that i never can do it thought i tom will hoot at you if you don't whispered the inconvenient little voice that is always goading people to the performance of disagreeable duties and always appeals to the most effective agent to produce the proper result the idea of allowing any boy that ever wore a felt basin and a shoddy jacket with a microscopic tail to crow over me was preposterous so giving myself a mental slap for such faint-heartedness i streamed away across the common wondering if i ought to say your honor or simply sir 
and decided upon the latter, fortifying myself with recollections of an evening in a charming green library, where I beheld the governor placidly consuming oysters, and laughing, as if Massachusetts was a myth, and he had no heavier burden on his shoulders than his host's handsome hands. Like an energetic fly in a large cobweb, I struggled through the state house, getting into all the wrong rooms and none of the right, till I turned desperate and went into one, resolving not to come out till I'd made somebody hear and answer me. I suspect that all the wrong places I had bundered into, this was the most so. But I didn't care, and though the apartment was full of soldiers and surgeons, starters and spittoons, I cornered a perfectly incapable person and proceeded to pump for information with the following result. Was the governor anywhere about? No, he wasn't. Could he tell me where to look? No, he couldn't. Did he know anything about free passes? No, he didn't. Was there anyone there of whom I could inquire? Not a person. Did he know of any place where information could be obtained? Not a place. Could he throw the smallest gleam of light upon the matter in any way? Not a ray. I am naturally irascible, and if I could have shaken this negative gentleman vigorously, the relief would have been immense. The prejudices of society forbidding this mode of redress, I merely glowered at him, and, before my wrath found vent in words, my general appeared, having seen me from an opposite window, and come to know what I was about. At her command, the languid gentleman woke up, and troubled himself to remember that Major, or Sergeant, or something, um, McKay, knew all about the tickets, and his office was in Milk Street." I perked up insolenter, and then, as if the exertion was too much for him, what did this animated wet blanket do but add, I think McKay may have left Milk Street now, and I don't know where he has gone. Never mind, the newcomers will know where he has moved to, my dear, so don't be discouraged, and if you don't succeed, come to me, and we will see what to do next, said my general. I blessed her in a fervent manner and a cool hall, fluttered round the corner and bore down upon Milk Street, bent on discovering McKay, if such a being was to be found. He wasn't, and the ignorance of the neighborhood was really pitiable. Nobody knew anything, and after tumbling over bundles of leather, bumping against big boxes, being nearly annihilated by descending bales, and sworn at by aggravated truckmen, I finally elicited the advice to look for McKay in Haymarket Square. Who my informant was, I've really forgotten, for, having hailed several busy gentlemen, some one of them fabricated this delusive quietus for the perturbed spirit who instantly departed to the sequestered locality he named. If I had been in search of the Coronor Diamond, I should have been as likely to find it there as any vestige of Mackay. I stared at signs, inquired in shops, invaded an eating-house, visited the recruiting tent in the middle of the square, made myself a nuisance generally, and accumulated mud enough to retard another Nile. All in vain, and I mournfully turned my face toward the general's feeling that I should be forced to enrich the railroad company after all, when suddenly I beheld that admirable young man, brother-in-law, Darby Kubitty, Esquire.'
I arrested him with a burst of news and wants and woes, which caused his manly countenance to lose its usual repose. Oh, my dear boy, I'm going to Washington at five, and I can't find the free ticket man, and there won't be time to see Joan, and I'm so tired and cross, I don't know what to do, and will you help me like a cherub as you are? Oh, yes, of course. I know a fellow who will set us right, responded Darby, mildly excited, and darting into some kind of an office, held counsel with an invisible angel who sent him out radiant. All serene. I've got him. I'll see you through the business, and then get Joan from the dovecote in time to see you off. I'm a woman's rights woman, and if any man had offered help in the morning, I should have condescendingly refused it, sure that I could do everything as well, if not better, myself. My strong-mindedness had rather abated since then, and I was now quite ready to be a timid trembler, if necessary. Dear me, how easily Darby did it all. He just asked one question, received an answer, tucked me under his arm, and in ten minutes I stood in the presence of McKay the Desired. Now my troubles are over, thought I, and as usual was direfully mistaken. You will have to get a pass from Dr. H. in Temple Place before I can give you a pass, madam, answered McKay as blandly as if he, if he wasn't carrying desolation to my soul. Oh, indeed, why didn't he send me to Dorchester Heights, India Wharf, or Bunker Hill Monument, and done with it? Here I was, after a morning's tramp, down in some place about Dock Square, and was told to step to Temple Place. Nor was that all. He might as well have asked me to catch a hummingbird, toast a salamander, or call on the man in the moon as find a doctor at home at the busiest hour of the day. It was a blow, but weariness had extinguished enthusiasm, and resignation clothed me as a garment. I sent Darby for Joan, and doggedly paddled off, feeling that mud was my native element, and quite sure that the evening papers would announce the appearance of a wandering Jew in feminine habiliments. Is Dr. H. in? No, Mum, he ain't. Of course he wasn't. I knew that before I asked, and, considering it all in the light of a hollow mockery, added, When will he probably return? If the damsel had said, Ten to-night, I should have felt a grim satisfaction in the fulfillment of my own dark prophecy, but she said, At two, Mum, and I felt it a personal insult. I'll call them, tell him my business is important. With which mysteriously delivered message I departed, hoping that I left her consumed with curiosity, for mud rendered me an object of interest. By the way of resting myself, I crossed the common for the third time, bespoke the carriage, got some lunch, packed my purchases, smoothed my plumage, and was back again as the clock struck two. The doctor hadn't come yet, and I was morally certain that he would not, till, having waited till the last minute, I was driven to buy a ticket, and five minutes after the irrevocable deed was done, he would be at my service with all manner of helpful documents and directions. Everything goes by contraries with me, so, having made up my mind to be disappointed, of course I wasn't, for presently in walked Dr. H., and no sooner had he heard my errand and glanced at my credentials, that he said with the most engaging readiness, I will give you the order with pleasure, madam. 
Words cannot express how soothing and delightful it was to find, at last, somebody who could do what I wanted without sending me from Dan to Beersheba for a dozen other to do something else first. Peace descended like oil upon the ruffled waters of my being, as I sat listening to the busy scratch of his pen, and when he turned about, giving me not only the order, but a paper of directions wherewith to smooth away all difficulties between Boston and Washington, I felt as did poor Christian when the evangelist gave him the scroll on the safe side of the slough of despond. I've no doubt many dismal nurses have inflicted themselves upon the worthy gentleman since then, but I am sure none have been more kindly helped or are more grateful than T.P., for that short interview added another to the many pleasant associations that already surround his name. Feeling myself no longer a Martha Struggles, but a comfortable young woman with plain sailing before her, and the worst of the voyage well over, I once more presented myself to the valuable Mackay. The order was read, and certain printed papers necessary to be filled out were given a young gentleman, no, I prefer to say boy, with a scornful emphasis upon the word, as the only means of revenge now left me. This boy, instead of doing his duty with the diligence so charming in the young, loitered and lounged in a manner which proved his education to have been sadly neglected in the how doth the little busy bee direction. He stared at me, gaped out of the window, ate peanuts, and gossiped with his neighbors, boys like himself, and all penned in a row like colts in a cattle show. I don't imagine he knew the anguish he was inflicting, for it was nearly three, the train left at five, and I had my ticket to get, my dinner to eat, my blessed sister to see, and the depot to reach if I didn't die of apoplexy. Meanwhile, Patience certainly had her perfect work that day, and I hoped she enjoyed the job more than I did. Having waited some twenty minutes, it pleased this reprehensible boy to make various marks and blots on my documents, toss them to a venerable creature of sixteen, who delivered them to me with such paternal directions that it only needed a pat on the head and an encouraging, Now, run home to your ma, little girl, and mind the crossings, my dear, to make the illusion quite perfect. Why I was sent to a steamboat office for car tickets is not for me to say, though I went as meekly as I should have gone to the probate court if sent. A fat, easy gentleman gave me several bits of paper, with coupons attached, with a warning not to separate them, which instantly inspired me with a yearning to pluck them apart and see what came of it. But remembering through what fear and tribulation I had obtained them, I curbed Satan's promisings, and clutching my prize as if it were my pass to the Elysian fields, I hurried home. Dinner was rapidly consumed. Joan, enlightened, comforted, and kissed, the dearest of apple-faced cousins, hugged, the kindest of apple-faced cousins' fathers, subjected to the same process, and I mounted the ambulance, baggage wagon, or anything you please but hack, and drove away too tired to feel excited, sorry, or glad. End of chapter one, Obtaining Supplies. This has been a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain.